0: Today on This Week in Health IT. If
1: you ask 10 providers the same question, you may get 10 answers. And that's just the nature of the beast. So when you talk about data collection and how it is that we capture the data in order to leverage artificial intelligence and other things to help deliver better outcomes. From a functional perspective, we're not leveraging the data the way we should
0: Newsday. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week in Health IT, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. Special thanks to Sirius Healthcare, Health Lyrics, and Worldwide Technology, who are our Newsday show sponsors for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health IT leaders. Before we begin, I want to share an exciting announcement for This Week in Health IT. Starting in 2022, we're gonna have four channels to bring our community more specialized content for your specific needs. The four channels are news, community, conference, and the academy. The news channel will have our today and newsday shows where we explore the news that is going to impact health IT. The community channel is just that, a place where we come together and collaborate. One of the distinctions of this channel Is that we will have guest hosts from the industry and people that they invite to talk about the topics that we wrestle with every day. Things like clinical informatics, data security, and the like. We're excited about where the community will take this channel. The Academy is about training. It's about training the next generation of health leaders. Here's where we're going to be launching our new show. It's called Insights. And the show will actually take highlights from our last five years and break them into 10 minute episodes for your team and perhaps people who are new to health IT to come up to speed. Finally, this channel, the one you're listening to right now will become our conference channel. The same great content you travel across the country to receive we're going to be bringing to you right on this channel. This show will become keynote where we do our long form 50 minute interviews with industry leaders and we will be augmenting that with solution showcases and briefing campaigns that introduce exciting solutions in more detail. For more information on our other channels and where you can subscribe, visit us at thisweekhealth.com slash shows, S-H-O-W-S. Now, on to the show. It's Newsday, and we've got a lot of interesting stories. We're going to talk about interoperability. We'll talk about the nursing shortage. We'll talk about some telehealth fraud and some other things. Today, we have a, a new guest on the show. We have Tony Thornton, He's the Principal Advisor for Federal Healthcare for
1: Worldwide Technology, and we're excited to have him on. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Bill. It's awesome to be here. A week before Thanksgiving, I know we're thinking about turkey stuff and things, but it's always good to do this stuff.
0: I had forgotten that I've been so busy. I, I went to the Health Conference, the Chime Conference. I went to another conference as well. I've been at three conferences and so busy, you forget that those things are coming up. It's And and the worst of it is, I assume you're done with all your Christmas shopping?
1: Well, it's funny you say that. And I was by some friends just last night, and they have five Christmas trees up. Oh, and God. so they're well into it. And unfortunately, fortunately, my family we kind of have a general agreement that I will get one gift each. And I'm the guy that will use some sort of virtual catalog or whatever it is. probably shouldn't say that out loud, but it's the truth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you're like me, the, the family doesn't listen to these kinds of podcasts. They're like, my, my wife for years It's like, what does your husband do? It's like technology. He does something with technology. And now it's even harder for her. She's like, what does he do? I don't know. He's in his, he's he's in that studio over there talking to people all over the country and recording
1: things. So, your wife and my wife may be cousins then. So, yeah, she's like, you're always doing something. What do you do? And all. And so I sit there, but it's worse are my kids. Again, now that everything is virtual, the entertainment in the house is mocking dad and his virtual yeah. conferences. So, it's a three, four letter soup where all the different acronyms and different people and other executives, so quite entertaining. So we absolutely could probably put on a show in my house.
0: There's some, it was great to be with people at the conferences again, to like be with them and, you know, shake hands and talk to them. But there's something about this, this Zoom thing I mean, I got to meet people's dogs, their kids, their spouses, and other things because they're in the meeting, and all of a sudden somebody's walking behind them, or the dog jumps up on their lap, and that kind of stuff. It it really did open up maybe a, a little different window into some of the people that I've
1: interacted with for years. It was uh, that aspect of it I, I really did enjoy. Well, it was what's cool about it again because of COVID and the pandemic. Probably it's been about two years, folks, traveling kind of went, you know, to a strategic pause. So there are people that I've met over the past two years and just in the six months, have finally gotten to meet them in person. And so it's pretty cool. So while production went up because of it, the interpersonal things that you're used to, like you said, the conferences and just the basic blocking and tackling of getting to know people, going to restaurants, conferences, and things of that nature, that's all changed. So it'd be interesting again as we look forward. What's going to be that middle ground going forward? But again, I think the days of the full-blown like hymns, where you have a gazillion people there doing things, I I think we're still a little bit away from that.
0: Well, just to level set, because people aren't familiar with, with you on the show, what does the principal advisor for federal healthcare
1: do for worldwide technology? Well, exactly that in the title. I advise, I'm an expert within the federal healthcare public space. Uh, again, I'm a retired naval officer, 30 years, hospital administrator, technologist. I was CIO of uh, several entities in military medicine that include the President's Hospital, Walter E. Bethesda. I was CIO of the United States Navy Healthcare Enterprise, and also in Defense Health Agency. I was Chief Infrastructure Operations. So, into all the IT. What does that mean? That means within the healthcare realm around technology stuff and things, I'm the guy that kind of knows it at the C suite. So, what I do is, is help at the client executive level, help our teams understand what's coming downpike strategically, and how is it that we align our capabilities within the worldwide technology portfolio, how is it that we align those things to ensure that we are meeting the needs of the customers? And certainly, because of the pandemic, because of this evolution that, that we're seeing right now, where consumerism and, and the brink of this digital divide and other things that are happening. You know what I mean? Companies like technology, we have the benefit of a complex portfolio of stuff and things that we could leverage and help our customers, in this case, healthcare delivery, do the right thing by them. So it's a cool place to be in, but I basically advise I have to know where the puck is, so to speak.
0: Before we, we get to some of the stories, I'm, I'm curious. So when we talk consumers, well, actually, let's step back federal healthcare care I assume that's that's VA it is it's the hospital systems within the federal government, but it's there's also some other aspects to that as well. What areas does that actually oversee?
1: So federal healthcare care includes HHS and its subsidiaries that include certainly Indian Health but also FDA, CDC, NIH National Library. so that's one thing and then of course VA and all of those subsidiary hospitals and then Defense Health. And so the combination of the three are where I lean in most, but certainly we we look to our commercial partners because again, some people think uh, military healthcare is antiquated. I mean, you read a lot of things, but the truth is, is doctor that's on the commercial side, they go to the same colleges and get educated, the same, the training and whatnot are all the same on the federal side. So the divide is not as great as people think. But it's really, really cool because military health, defense, certainly the VA, we're, we're basically nonprofit. And what I mean by that is we can do things because we want to do them, because most, in most instances, we're taking care of the men and women that have worn the cloth of this nation. So the people that are in our hearts, the kind of the backbone, so the warfighters and other folks. So it's a different type of health care, because again, I mean, when I say nonprofit, our tax dollars drive the delivery. And so uh, it's a pretty cool system to be in because, again, we get to do things because we want to and have to. So it's a different culture, so to speak, when you talk about healthcare delivery.
0: I'll tell you, Tony, it's that aspect. It's the taxpayer dollars. I'm on record as saying I would I, I would never want to lead an EHR implementation for a public entity like that, because I did one for a 16 hospital system and I know the number of things that went wrong. Right, how challenging it was. But when you're doing it with taxpayer dollars, that whole thing gets adjudicated in front of Congress, in front of the media, in front of everybody. And I'm thinking, oh man, that that if if my implementation at that 16 hospital system had been adjudicated that way, it would have been it's, it's much, it's much easier when you get the doctors and everybody in a room. You talk through it, you figure out what you need to do and and you move on. As opposed to, yeah, you're right, we we just read so much about what's going on. It's a hard job.
1: It is a hard job, again, as a former CIO um, and certainly have relationships with the standing CIOs. It's difficult because, again, culturally, it's more about change management and the human adaptation around information and the technology. You've talked about on the show, the EHRs are getting better, but they're not perfect. When we talk about clinical workflows and how it is that delivered, again, military and federal healthcare care are very, very similar. But again, the challenge are there are some challenges around infrastructure. There are other challenges because we're remote. Again, it's not like you have this little quarantine health system. We're global. We're all over the place. So again, when you're talking about delivery, those challenges make it difficult or more difficult than what you would have and a commercial health entity. But again, at the same time, it's it's one of the best health systems in the world. There are people who would challenge me and say, well, what about this stuff? And what about these things? But the cool thing is, is our doctors and nurses, paraprofessionals are resilient. And at the end of the day, they want to do the right thing. And so that humanistic aspect when it comes to healthcare delivery is always critical to uh, the delivery of care.
0: Fantastic. All right, let's get into the stories. The first one comes from Healthcare IT News. What should interoperability look like in eight years? The ONC asked and we answered. So here's a little excerpt from this. This past May, the U.S. office, the ONC, asked healthcare stakeholders, what should healthcare look like in 2030 and what should interoperability have enabled by then? According to the blog post published by the deputy national coordinator, Steve Posnack, the agency received more than 700 submissions in response over the course of the next few months. As Posnack explained, the agency analyzed each statement and looked for trends, groupings, combinations, and other affinities. The resulting theme statements ran the gamut from shifts in individual and care delivery experiences to changes at health systems. So let me just jump over. So that's that's what they did. That was the process. And I went over to the ONC site. Here's some of those statements that he was talking about. And they're grouped into two things. They're grouped into health system statements and they're grouped into individual statements. From an individual standpoint, here's some of the statements. Individuals will have internet-based access to their past, present, and future electronic health information from clinical and administrative sources. So that's the first one. Second, individuals will be able to seek and receive care telehealth specialty without needing to gather and provide their health information themselves. Next one, prior to administering care, an individual care team will have ready access to updated electronic health information that reflects the latest changes in health and care And it goes on. And a lot of it's the same thing. Individuals and health professionals will be able to discover and compare online the costs of healthcare services, procedures, or drugs before it is ordered and prescribed. And there was a lot of those kinds of things. It's about the experience. It's about having access to our information. It's about, I would say, the the friction that we have all along the way being asked, seven times. Can you give us this information? And you're just shaking your head like, oh my gosh, this is the seven. I mean, for a chronic condition, you may have given this information 15 times and here you are giving it again. And and they ask you, do you have your medical record? And you can't get access to it. And so the vision here is a vision where people have access to their medical record. The providers have access to their medical record. Individuals and providers have access to uh, pricing and procedure costs. And we are informed and we are communicating. So that's from the individual side. I'm, I'm curious, as you hear some of those things, does that resonate with you in terms of where we want to go and where we could go from an interoperability standpoint from a patient side?
1: So it's it's more than a one. It's an absolute need. We have to go there. I tell this story often within close friends, close circles. My, my wife and I built a home a couple of years ago, right before we go into closing, there was an error in the closing, and I coincidentally was on the golf course. When the wife said, You shouldn't be golfing this day because we're going to have the closing, you never know what's going to happen. And of course, something happened. But the cool thing was to my phone, I was able to get a digitized packet, if you would, where I was able to digitally sign and keep everything going. So we closed that day. The wife was not upset at me, and all was well. In healthcare, you could have two healthcare entities right next to each other and not be able to share information. And that just doesn't make sense. And so I I clown around within the circle of friends that we're probably about 10 years behind. On the financial side, you can see, I mean, with your ATM card or your phone, you can access your financial information anywhere in the world. But yet in healthcare, we can't do that. And why is that? So is it a technology problem? The answer is no. Functionally, again, when we talk about consumerism and you mentioned it in your opening statement, The two core people or entities are the patients themselves and then the providers, the providers. And when I say providers, I'm talking doctors, nurses, paraprofessionals, and ensuring that the right information is in the right place at the right time. And to your point, even the need of filling out applications or or capturing your health information, why does it make sense that you have to do it sometimes multiple times when, in fact, you should be able to do it just once? So the statements that you read are true. Certainly, the technology companies are looking at, not from a technology perspective alone, but from a functional perspective in terms of delivery. How is it that we provide that interoperability, uh, change management? How is it from a clinical flow perspective? How is it that, again, we use that thing that we call a phone, which is truly a digital platform, so to speak, it happens to have a phone app. How is it that we leverage that? I have a 22-year-old daughter who during the pandemic has probably been tested, I I cannot tell you the number of times, and she has the greatest expectation that the results, her information are going to be where it is, where she needs it, when she needs it. She certainly has been very, very cautious, but she looks at me as a healthcare guy, like, dad, this has to get better. It's pretty cool, but here are the things we need. And so again, this next generation, I think are going to drive us toward that, and like I said, there are other interested industries comparable to healthcare that are doing the very same thing. So we have to, it's a must in order for us to improve outcomes from a clinical delivery perspective, but also just the demand, the demand signal from the patients themselves, they're wanting it. Now, I will add this, and, and people argue this point, people are most interested in their healthcare. I mean, putting the pandemic aside, when you're younger, you're a baby, and when you're older, so typically, those middle-year people are kind of like, eh, unless you have some chronic disease or something like that, you're not concerned. I think the pandemic has become a forcing function to kind of drive our interests or, or improve our interests, if you would, around quality care, delivery, and those sort of things. So that's a long-winded answer, but hopefully you get the gist yeah. of where I'm going at with that.
0: I agree with you. I, I didn't really care about my my health all that much for a number of years, and I'm finding now that as I get to a certain age, a lot more of the conversations I have with people and my friends, at some point, we used to talk about work and and other things. Now, at some point, we get to aches, pains, medications, procedures, and I'm like, man, that just, I guess once you turn about 50 years old, your friends are around that age, you, you start having different conversations. And it, there really is a lot of truth to that. You start to become very aware of the health system once again, it, but between those ages of what, 20 and twenty and 50, I mean, God willing, you're, you really don't have a lot of need, hopefully, for a health system. So you sort of check out. Let let me give you a couple more of these statements. So those were the individual statements. The individuals want their information and they want transparency and they don't want to keep filling out these forms. Here's the statements that they put together for health systems. The health system will enable evidence-based precision care that accounts for the social and health conditions of each patient, including links between health and human services. So this gets to Uh, whole person care, right? So we're not just caring for the individual ailment of a population. We're we're actually getting down to this this N of one, this individual type of care, precision type of care. Uh, The next thing is health systems will more quickly identify high-risk conditions, chronic diseases, and disparities in health equity. Next one, the data used for clinical and administrative processes will be electronically integrated to support decisions about payment, eligibility, and benefits. And it goes on and talks about public health. Public health response and preparedness will be driven by real-time data that allow public health agencies to quickly identify when and where infectious disease breaks out and maintain insights about health system capacity. And they have reporting and those kinds of things. The interoperability, it's interesting. We're starting to see a lot of really cool tools. And they're amazing in what they can do with machine learning, with AI, and really analyzing large amounts of data. The challenge still becomes getting that data to move and the quality of that data once it moves. A lot of that data is still not as clean, I guess, as some of these AI systems and machine learning systems would like in order to to benefit us. When we look at health systems, what is standing in the way of us creating this, this image of the, the 2030 image that ONC has collected, this set of information for the individuals and for health systems to be able to move data around and care for people at a, a more
1: precise or intimate level? So I tell you this, if you ask providers, if you ask 10 providers the same question, you may get 10 answers. And that's just the nature of the beast. So when you talk about data collection and how it is that we capture the data in order to leverage, as you suggest, artificial intelligence and other things to help deliver better outcomes. Again, from a functional perspective, we're not leveraging the data the way we should. The technology is there to assist. To be able to drive better outcomes we have to get better data clean data and the truth is is that's not going to happen overnight and that's going to be driven by again continue to standardize how it is we capture that information so that we can utilize it in a way to drive better outcomes none of this will be true if in fact we don't have full interoperability from the clinical perspective from the providers to ensure that they have the right data, healthcare is becoming more specialized. That's just the truth. I mean, before you you had a hand doctor, now it's going to be an index finger doctor. So there's going to be more and more and more data. So imagine a time where we're leveraging artificial intelligence and other tools to flag when in fact there's an error or a challenge in terms of healthcare delivery. We, We have case management which typically are humans that, again, act, if you would, as a kind of stop guards, a safety lights around the data. But what if we have a time, again, around interoperability, where you're leveraging the tools to do just that? So the statements you read are spot on. It is a must because we're becoming more specialized, because there's going to be more data. The chances for us to have adverse effects will be increased. So we have to use technology and other innovations to be able to reduce the possibility of having those negative. Options.
0: One of the things I want to talk to you about is this nursing shortage. One of the stories we have here is the CHS community health system, 80 smart hospitals across country is looking to put programs together for nurse recruiting and training. I've talked to a bunch of health systems over the last couple of weeks, and this nurse shortage is, is top of mind. It's a very serious issue. And as we're talking through that, one of the things that struck me is we're going to have to figure out a way to make nurses much more productive than they are today. And one of the reasons they're not productive is they spend an awful lot of time in front of this computer that you and I are talking through, typing in notes and those kind of things. And it struck me as you were talking, we almost need AI and, and smart systems on the front end, right? So part of the problem, you said 10 different clinicians Ask them a question, you're going to get 10 different answers. And the same thing is true with data entry. In a lot of cases, 10 different people input the same medication five different ways. Let's just say this tablet this many times versus this tablet this many times. It gets kind of convoluted in the health system because they didn't get into medicine to be data entry clerks. And that's what we've turned them into And it strikes me that there are smart systems right around the corner. One of the ones I was looking at was a a clinical automation tool, and all it is is a camera. And they address the whole idea of privacy and whatnot. They essentially blur out the person who's doing the work, but that camera's there to watch certain things that happen in the room. And it never turns off, it's always there. And it watches for fall risk. It watches for hand washing. It watches watches for other things like turns in the bed for pressure wounds and those kinds of things. And it's all those things are things that the nurse used to have to think about and made them less productive. And in fact, the, the turns, they've actually integrated into the EHR and it actually will put the information in the EHR for them so that that act of, okay, this happened, and they type it into the EHR, we're taking that stuff away from them. I mean, this this nursing shortage is top of mind, and I think technology is going to play a big role in terms of how we support the nurses that remain, how we train and bring new nurses up to speed moving forward. Are you hearing the same challenge that this nursing shortage is top of mind, or is something that is something that we can address somewhat with technology. Clearly, we need more nurses, but we can
1: support it with technology. Yeah, Bill. So you're absolutely right. I think that the healthcare industry, staffing shortages across the board, but there are other industries as well that are challenged. And so again, with this problem becomes opportunity. How is it to your point? We certainly have seen over the past 18 months, two years, virtual care, telehealth increase exponentially. But to your point, we have to figure out how is it that we crack the nut on whether it be automation, robotics, or other tools that will never necessarily replace the, the functional care or the care that you get from nursing, but the ability to capture the information or to do the things, to do diligence that nursing's, nurses provide. Again, my dear friends are providers and I, and I tell them this and some of them want to strangle me, but I tell them, I say, while doctors are everything in healthcare, the truth is the nurses are the glue. They truly are what makes hospitals run. My nursing friends are probably the ones that watch this. They'll smile, but they're the ones that, that make it happen, the nurses and the paraprofessionals. And so the the nursing shortage is real it's going to continue especially i'm not going to say it's a, a mass exodus but because of uh, covid and the pandemic you're starting to see people leave the cities which means healthcare the healthcare footprint has to expand so again we're in this evolution where it's not like all of a sudden we're going to have this bolus or increase of people overnight to address those shortages So we have to get creative. And certainly the folks that I work with from a technology perspective, we have clinical professionals on staff, nursing professionals on staff. So we look at ways, how is it that you can leverage the technology to do just that, to fill in those gaps? Because it's not like all of a sudden, overnight, we're going to have this surplus of people. And again, the challenges, the shorting, uh, staffing challenges permeate across all industries, not just healthcare.
0: All right. So let's let's talk about the technology. So there's a, a shortage for some reason. There's a shortage in health IT staff. I think there's just more competition for it. I've talked to uh, a couple, I wouldn't call them rural. Well, actually I would call them rural locations compared to some of the cities. You're in St. Louis. I mean, some of these cities are much smaller locations. And what's happening is you have these, these big firms coming in, hiring the technologists who know various technologies They don't have to move from that rural location and they just got a 30% pay increase. And I was talking to somebody, their health system, nurses, clinicians, and IT combined has a 16% open rate right now, non-fill rate. I mean, that of positions that they need to fill. And there was almost, he goes, you know, that's 16% that are actually posted that we're looking for. He said, there's still other positions that aren't even posted yet because we have to fill some positions before we get there. That's a significant amount. And one of the articles was a conversation that happened at Health Evolution and what will it take to maintain the accelerated pace of innovation in healthcare post-pandemic. We're all excited. I mean, we made so much progress during the pandemic from a digital standpoint. It is the silver lining is the amount of things that we were able to do from a digital perspective. But now we have this potential shortage in the IT staff. And we also, I think have that same appetite still remains for keeping up the pace of innovation. How are we gonna do that? I'm asking for some free consulting at this point. How, how are we gonna maintain that pace of innovation in healthcare with actually a little bit of f- a fewer staff?
1: Well, I tell you, it's not an easy fix. I think I've read a couple of different articles in recent weeks, months. that said the shortage, if all things being equal and all of our health entities, facilities were fully staffed, we'd need additional 20,000 nurses is uh, the number that I heard. So that's not an easy fix. And to your point, the larger health systems that can afford to pay a premium for those technicians, clinical nursing staff. They're the ones that are benefiting. And unfortunately, the smaller health systems are the ones that are struggling even more because of their bottom line, it's a lot slimmer. So they don't have the latitude. And so you're absolutely right. What we need are our doctors and nurses to help draw those innovations, to fill the gaps. We as technologists have to listen and better understand what that looks like. What are those requirements? And how is it that we deliver the necessary capabilities to be able to solve those gaps? Again, it's not going to be an easy fix. But again, you see more often, or at least in recent years, you see doctors, nurses, paraprofessionals becoming technology and informatics experts. They're understanding the industry. And so that complement to people like myself, and again, I'm a hospital administrator, but the truth is, I mean, you don't want me drawing your blood or doing some things. And so we, we are going to absolutely depend on those functional experts to kind of help shape and drive that. And companies like Worldwide Technology, we have that expertise. And so we leverage our functional folks to kind of help shape where it is we're going with the technology.
0: So, Tony, to close this out, we're getting close to the end of the year. We talked about Thanksgiving. We talked about the holidays at the end of the year. This is one of those things that just happens at the end of the year. We talk about what's it going to look like for next year. I have really two questions around that. One is around what's top of mind? What are the projects for health systems in 2022? And then the second, I want to talk about work from home, return to work, and what the nature of work looks like in 2022. So let's start with what projects do you think are top of mind for health systems going into 2022?
1: So I think generally speaking, we have to continue to expand our virtual and telehealth presence. That's going to be a must because of all the things we've talked about. Certainly uh, the shortage in nursing is going to be, be key. But just again, from a business perspective, just how we're going to do business. So you're going to see more and more of that virtual care, the better use of the technologies and even expansion of those technologies, again, which are going to drive interoperability, that's going to happen. I actually, while I'm in St. Louis this week, I'm actually in Washington, DC. I live right outside Washington, DC. And you see from a business perspective, I and mean, we have a lot of wonderful buildings and you seem vacant. So the whole workplace function thing is going to change. Now what that means how is that tied to healthcare we're still trying to figure that out because again I don't think it's not as easy as the easy button so to speak but the goal is just that we have to continue to innovate and be smart to be able to drive better outcomes again as we talk about patient centered care or consumer based care with the with our doctors and of course the patients being in the middle how is it that we drive better outcomes, lo- using technology. So I think across the board, everyone's looking at that and uh, it would be pretty cool. There's also an undercurrent of security. As you go virtual, how is it that you secure the information? How is it that with the ransomware and some of these other things that are happening, how is it that we do it in a secure way and, and manage the data? And so again, those challenges are gonna exist, continue to exist, and we just have to get better.
0: Yep, absolutely. Tony, I want to thank you for your time. It was wonderful to meet you, and I appreciate your perspective. Maybe the next time you're on, we could talk about the progress on the VA's EHR implementation, but I didn't want to put you on the spot on your first first time on the show.
1: No, not at all. Thank you very much for having me, Bill. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family.
0: Thank you. You too. What a great discussion. If you know of someone that might benefit from our channel from these kinds of discussions, please forward them a note. Perhaps your team, your staff. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to this show. It's it's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or they can go wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, which is what I use, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we're out there. They can find us go ahead subscribe today send a note to someone and have them subscribe as well we want to thank our channel sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health it leaders those are VMware Hillrom Starbridge Advisors Aruba and McAfee thanks for listening that's all for now